Welcome back to the show. It's a show within a show within a show. It's Inception of the Shows. I didn't sign up for this, Robbie. You signed up when you first accepted my random DM asking to be on a podcast. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Okay. I can take full responsibility for this. I'm Look, no they told you never to accept candy from strangers. You accepted a podcast invite from a 23-year-old that's doing a podcast out of Isis's basement with this curtain behind him. You know, when it comes to candy from strangers, I mean, I feel like if it's still in its original wrapper, it's fine. You ever hear that when the, that's when uh, I, someone used to tell me when I was a kid that they used to take a syringe and inject something into it. And I was like, I actually mm-hmm. did a podcast about this. It's called the mm-hmm. Halloween candy myth where people mm-hmm. were drugging Halloween. Happened yeah. one time. Yeah. There's a toddler that mistaked fun dip and heroin. And I'm like, what or and or like i think it did happen one other time but like it was intentional like someone trying to kill the child oh yeah the woman that poisoned those popcorn balls but you never accept homemade treats on halloween what the hell Mm -hmm. unless you know the person well and if you do know them then you know where to go if you die so well or your parents our loved ones Um, how many stories led into like (laughs) he was such a nice neighbor then he just killed everybody it's like "Eh, probably why way too many um or like the tylenol scare there was uh, a podcast i love the dollop they do american history stories and they're two comedians amazing phenomenal It's, it's pretty big now but they did an episode on the tylenol scare and the person behind it and everything and it was like two bottles that got messed up, but everyone lost their minds. And he was, I think, trying to like give the company a bad name because he was a disgruntled worker, but they never actually caught the person, which is why I think it turned into such a, a big thing. But they they pretty much know who it is. I think he passed away. But yeah, I was like, just one, one little thing ruins it for everybody. So. so two very important things. One, have you ever found a pill? Just randomly, like I used to work at a hotel, you'd find like pills all over the place. Mm-hmm. You look like Advil, Tylenol. You ever just take one? Just be like, hey, screw it. It's going to be a fun day. You know, when I do find those randomly, I do, uh, they have drugfinderpills.com or whatever. And you can type in the, like the number on it. So if it's like M, you know, 75 and it's a white pill that's round and it'll bring up probably what it is. Um, I remember finding some and I'm looking at them and it's like, uh, antihistamine pill or, you know, to help to lower your cholesterol. I'm like, you know, these aren't fun. I'm my cholesterol's fine. <laughs> so no, I don't take one randomly. I've never done that, but I might have to next time. And maybe next time I go to the doctor, I'll be uh, cured of any high blood pressure. I bet you could probably like look up the statistic for it, but there's probably a large percentage of people that work in hotels that are just drug dealers because you would get like, we would get a lot of old people that would stay at the hotel. So we would, uh-huh. they would leave a lot of like their pill containers and stuff behind it. Like you start Googling like wow. through the lost and found, you're Googling like, oh, here's a, yeah. here's a sweater. It's $25 on eBay. I could sell that for $10. And you're just like wow. going through because they've been left there for so long. But you look at the, like, some people leave their pill bags there and i'm like looking there i'm like what does this person have in here not like i'm gonna take it i'm just like curious i'm a curious george um he didn't that didn't end badly for him at all um but i was googling all these like pills and i was like oh my god like if you're a drug dealer you could make bank like these Mm -hmm. are shit like that people pay to get knocked out oxy xanax i mean out of and you name it yep i'm not surprised in any way that so you used to work in a hotel for a good portion of my time let me tell you if you ever want a a good story just talk to someone who's worked in the hotel business for longer than a year 
I have a friend who did security at Denver's uh, Brown Palace Hotel, which is like our presidential hotel, like super haunted. Oh, that hotel hasn't been canceled yet. <laughs> no, I don't think it ever will be. I mean, friggin' Reagan stayed there and Reagan hasn't been canceled. So he should have been top Palace of the cancel list. Pushing it on a name. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good oh. stuff. But yeah, it's the the story. Like he uh, he told me that Kobe, uh, Kobe Bryant stayed there. That's the kind of caliber of hotel it was because we didn't have anything super like that was our only five-star hotel. Um, and it's was built in like the 1800s, but Kobe Bryant stayed there. And that was after the whole um, rape accusation from the woman in Denver. So, you know, as a Nuggets fan, I have a particular uh, dislike for the Lakers uh, because of that whole incident. But yeah, there was that rape allegation. And uh, after that, he literally was babysat by this old woman. Anytime he came into town, there was this little old lady sitting at the door, basically not letting anyone, anyone in or out. It's like, and I thought that was funny. That was an uh, the old an old lady was the choice of who would be his not really bodyguard, but his babysitter. But it makes sense because you know if you have a big old bodyguard that's a guy, you know he could look the other way and and let people in. But the old lady, she's standing her ground. There is no bribing her. Uh, I just imagine her sitting in a chair outside his door, like knitting little like baby hats or something, <laughs> or head headbands for Kobe. Huh? I said, who's that Betsy Ross out front? <laughs> right. Gosh, could you imagine this old lady like knitting or crocheting uh, uh, headbands for the entire Lakers team? That would be phenomenal. I, would love I think that. those are probably like, would you like, I mean, first of all, you mentioned the celebrity thing and then the Lakers as well, too. It does get to a point when you do become a celebrity, like you feel like you can do anything and you see a lot of shit where it's mm-hmm. like that. The fame does not transcend those boundaries, but they get away with certain actions, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Working at a hotel, like uh, to me, that has more information and more kind of like power to it than it does, or I guess being famous. I know on the like just on the idea because you you know how many people probably get blackmailed that are famous that stay at a hotel that we probably don't even know about just because oh, one of the employees caught something there. Yeah. I mean, you're looking like, here's the big thing when you work at a hotel is like, you are going through a lot of people's personal belongings in there. So it's like very, very right. tempting. You hear about people like stealing stuff all the time. Luckily, I never had that a thing in me to be like, I want to take this. Mm-hmm. No. But when you see a doorman, for instance, I consider that guy not only a gatekeeper, but the powerful person in the universe because he sees so much stuff. He probably sees scandals, a dude cheating on his wife or oh, something 100%. like that. hundred percent. It's fascinating. I'm like, that's where it's at. You have yeah. literally reality television in reality. You are watching drugs. You're watching people stumble home when they're not supposed to be out. You're getting tips so much money, not to say a single word. I'm like, you're making bank. No wonder you're yeah. not like up upset about standing and opening up a door until they figured out they can just do the automatic ones. And then right. Kind of- and they also have resources. Like, you know, if you don't want to go to the concierge because I mean, sure, their job is to get you things, even if they're not legal things, you know, really you might want to talk to the doorman instead. Cause he's really not going to say anything. You know, he, he doesn't care about, well, I'm sure he does care about losing his job, but he's so connected. I'm sure doorman here can translate into a doorman there. So that would make a lot of sense. That's, oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> I think it was a comedian that said, uh, when you go into a hotel room, you know that someone the night before had sex in it, like almost guaranteed. And when you're changing those sheets, you should just assume that someone had sex in them. And it's like, even if you go somewhere with your uh, spouse or significant other and, you know, you have sex maybe 
couple times a month, that would be really sad, but it will say that if you go to a hotel, you are having sex in that bed. I don't know what it is about hotels, but that's just, I feel like something that's, they you're quoting Tom Segura. Is it? Am I? Okay. Yeah, Cause Tom Segura said, when you walk into a hotel room, the first thing that goes in your mind is like, I'm going to not only disrespect you who's cleaning it, but also I'm going to disrespect <laughs> this room. There you go. See, it's it, but he's so right. He's so right. Or like uh, the need to make out in elevators when you, uh, well, okay, maybe that's just me. When you start like a new relationship, you're like, doors closed. Let's make out. I don't know. Maybe Not that's when other me. people are in it though, right? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I'm just picturing know. little Timmy with a balloon like, <laughs> wait, who brings a balloon in an elevator? You've never brought a balloon in an elevator? I no. No, I've done that I've... so many. I mean, I worked at a hotel, so we get like bachelorette oh, okay. parties where like you'd have dick balloons and stuff like that. So I would, <laughs> pulling them down from the room and just letting them go outside. And people are like, hey, that's looking bad on our business. I'm like, it's flying dicks, man. I just needed to say that. Yeah. I'm sorry. It was there. I had to take the shot. And he's like, you're fired. I'm like, all right. Right yeah, on. You're like, you know, I don't give a flying fuck and there's you know a floating dick like what what do, more do you want from me that's all <laughs> i could give you guys today was a floating dick i'm sorry you, you literally can't have power over someone when there's literally a dick flying over their head i'm just <laughs> saying like your supervisor authority goes right out the window <laughs> right yeah oh my gosh uh we started out strong here yeah sex in hotels dick balloons uh kobe uh kobe bryant being babysat like this is by an old woman this is this is good stuff this is gold i'm just because i'm like wondering like what's better of obviously having money and having fame and all these types of things but it's like it's just right now it's not seeming like the best time to have all that type of stuff and i rather have a sense of like worth within myself rather than mm -hmm. having a worth with a bunch of people who don't even really truly know me i would say yeah you know i, I mean? would love to see you fall as well um you know i thought about that and and this came up when i was living in the uk and uh gosh one of the royals had just gotten married or one of them had been born or something it was oh it's kate middleton um so we're not i don't even want to discuss the megan markle stuff but it's kate middleton when she was engaged to be married and all of the press and and how just picked apart she was in every single way you know it was like down you know from what outfit she was wearing to like the little mole on her cheek i don't even know if there's one but that's the yeah that's the kind of spotlight that these people have they are never alone they are just scrutinized to the nth degree I'm like, I would hate that. If that's what fame means, absolutely not. Like I'd rather just be completely average and normal and do my own thing and have my own life. And like, that's why I like living in cities. I like the anonymity of it. I like going anywhere. No one knows me. I don't, I don't know why that is. I'm pretty introverted, but not like hermit introverted, but I like the anon anonymity because I can observe and watch and just stand back and take everything in. Whereas if you're famous, there's nothing, you know, you, you just go from plane to hotel to, you know, limo to house to whatever you are not able to exist uh, in the real world. It's kind of interesting. You say that because um, I was listening to Joe Rogan and he was mentioning the first time he saw Robin Williams, um, mm -hmm. he was signing autographs like Joe Rogan was. And then some old man comes up and says, I really like your comedy. He has like his head down and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He's like, thanks man. Signs him something. He goes, wait a minute. Are you Robin Williams? And he didn't say a single word. Nobody knew that this small man was Robin Williams. Nobody even got wow. his autograph or anything. He was just going by, you know, hat on his face, glasses mm -hmm. on and stuff like that. Not like the one with the mustache, but just, I mean, is it right? 
you mentioned Meghan Markle. Is that the one from the Oprah Winfrey interview? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know her name and people are probably gonna be like, how do you not know? I'm like, I just know what happened. Like the whole thing. I just, I, there's so much yeah. shit out there. Like from there's over a million and a half people doing podcasts. There's a, so much wow. going on. I'm just another one of those pieces of poop that's floating in the sewage drain. But it's like you're you're it's like you're in the Shawshank Redemption swimming through shit. There's <laughs> so much of it that you're insaturated <laughs> with it all that the fact that people can yeah. stay on top of it 24 seven. I'm like, you you hear so many podcasts talking about news and so many people. I'm like, I'll might mm. quote something if someone brings it up or something like that. But Oh my God, there's so much. I'm like, so my much. brain's going to explode. Yeah, I feel, I f- and I, I feel it's, it's overwhelming. And I think that that's a big issue with, with uh, people's mental health today. It's a big part of it. How do we sift through it? I mean, back in the day, you know, music being a, a, an example here on the radio, it was curated for us. You couldn't go to Spotify or Apple Music and, you know, choose your favorite, like super local industrial slash emo or whatever, you know, you couldn't find your niche. You liked what was on the radio or you had to go find it live or create your own, but there was not the same kind of diversity and amount of, of music that there is now. And it's beautiful because it's given a platform to people who would otherwise never make it even close to the radio or you know selling out shows or touring or anything but it also makes it you get a lot of noise too you got get a lot of bs and whether that's podcasts or music or art or tv it's just so overwhelming and that's i think why we turn to things like podcasts be like okay well i know that they watch movies and they review them and they talk about them i know they're really into the marvel movies okay i'll trust what they're saying. And that's, I think we have to have things curated for us. Otherwise we do our heads explode. Like I feel so disconnected from the world because I, I don't own a TV. I haven't owned a TV since 2013, I think. Um, yeah, I don't own a TV. If I watch TV, it's going to be on my laptop. Uh, and I maybe watch Hulu and I bought the ad free version recently. Um, or I watch Netflix, but I don't watch anything that has commercials. And people are like, yeah, did you see the commercial or the new thing that's out? I'm like, um, <laughs> what was the last commercial I watched? It was like five years ago. So I feel really disconnected about like what's hip and new and going on and what the new trends are. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay I with that. Even, I didn't even know LGBTQ plus. I didn't know there was that now. I thought it was just LGBTQT. And then I had my buddy on and he was like, I'm gay and I can't even catch up. And he just started going. I was like, yeah, I didn't, I'm so out of it now. Like I'm at this point, I'm like, I just want to focus on making sure that my, I can remember to breathe, you know, like like when you get too high or something, you got to remember that, you know, make sure I'm not chewing too loud when I'm in public. So people look (laughs) at me like your damn animal, you know, that type (laughs) of thing. But ah, man, it's a lot out there. I'm just, I mean, it's guess it's good, but then it gets like, they're all kind of structured the same though. It's like call of duty. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of play one, you kind of know what they're all really kind of about. Maybe a different right. war, maybe set in a different time, but mm-hmm. you see podcasts that are about movies, but then they just change one little thing about it and do it in their own unique way, which is awesome. But it's like, right. it gives you a quality view of content, but I'm like, what's mm-hmm. the, 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 the next icebreaker? Like what's going to be after podcasting? What's going to be yeah that, that third wall break. I love that with technology because I am not an entrepreneur. Um, I think I have some good ideas, nothing tech related though. Uh, What's I, an I idea? Did, oh God. Well, okay. So 
totally my copyright, trademark, patented, whatever. Um, this is going on the air. So, you know, just so you know, Robbie, you said it first. So I want to make not really like a gag gift company type thing, but uh, probably something you'd find at Spencer's. Do you remember Spencer's? You might be a bit young I in the mall. Spencer's. Okay. Thank Nobody God. ever cleaned the toilet. It, there was always a turd in it. I was like, what the fuck? Why are you going to the bathroom in Spencer's? If I got to pee, I'm peeing. Like it's going to happen in the store. It's going to happen in the store's bathroom. Either way. <laughs> well, okay. Never had a need to do that. Um, I always went to like the big main mall bathroom, which is turdless. Thank goodness. Um, so I wanted to make these cookies, fortune cookies, sorry, specifically fortune cookies that were uh, called misfortune cookies and disfortune cookies and misfortune cookies would be like, hopefully a black cat doesn't cross your path today or be wary of ladders, uh, just like little superstitions. Um, and then disfortune was, uh, you're basically dissing the person. And I've been writing these, I've been saving these, but one of them the other day I wrote, uh, Yo mama so fat, she had to pay for extra baggage fees just to get on the plane. I mean, something silly like that. A lot of these are still a work in progress or you, you're so ugly, your face broke the mirror. Yeah. And then I've been getting really creative with some, I, I can't think of any, but that is the, 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 how this all started. And so I'm like, do I want to be a, a fortune cookie ninja or rogue or saboteur and work in a fortune cookie factory and like slowly just add mine to the batches so that when people go out to Chinese restaurants and they get these cookies ones like um you know you shall be prosperous within the next year and it gives you all the lucky numbers and that next thing you get is you know hopefully uh there's enough air in your tires today people be like what the heck is going on do you haven't uh, done this because i've received a f- fortune cookie on my birthday that told me the shadows of the past best predict the pain of the future and i'm like you what the fuck whoa what kind of shit is that that's not what i want when i'm eating general so's chicken it, no i got one that said uh come back later even fortune cookies need naps too i'm like what the crap is this? And I think that's kind of where I got the idea from where I'm like, this is awful. Like, uh, you can't see it, but like I had a whole bunch of fortune cookie fortunes behind me. I keep most of them and I've made some very important life decisions based on fortune cookies. So there's this place out in Denver. Um, I used to go to it's, it's called Szechuan. It's in Lakewood, Colorado. Highly recommend it. Best Chinese food I've ever had at a at an American restaurant and they American Chinese restaurant, I should say. Um, and I was going through a divorce and I was living with my parents. You know, I'm like 26 years old back in my parents' house. Never thought that would happen to me. I'm like, I need to get out. I can't do this. It's been you, a month. Wait, 26. I was 26 when I was going through this. When was this? 2013. Last time I owned a TV. <laughs> Do you, I don't know if do you moisturize? How old are you? I'm 33. Holy shit. Okay. I, thought, <laughs> I definitely didn't think you were 33. Okay. Good well, on thank you. Thank you. Good on I you. appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'll take it. Um, and, and yeah, I moisturize. I'm genetically blessed. What can I say? Um, <laughs> I was born like this. So, so I'm sitting there with my buddy, uh, old high school friend, and I'm telling about everything. I'm like, yeah, I need a new place. And he's like, yeah, I kind of need to move too you know, should we be roommates? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll think about it, see if it makes sense. And in that fortune cookie, it said something like, um, the, there's like no time to hesitate or now is the time to make rash decisions. And I looked at him and I'm like, 
yeah, let's get a, let, let's get an apartment together. And we did. And it was the best apartment I ever had. I loved it. It was such a good year in that place. So I had a couple of those, um, like when I decided to go to grad school, same year, same restaurant. And I pulled it, I opened the, the fortune and it basically said, you know, take this step. You have a big decision to make, move forward with it. I'm like, I should just make all big decisions based on fortune cookies. So I was a bit lost a couple months ago. I was like, where, where, where's my life taking me? You know, do I want to stay in Nashville? Do I want to go to Seattle? Do I want to get a coding job or do I want to stay where I'm at? That sort of thing. I'm like, I'm going to order Chinese food. I'm going to do it. I don't want Chinese food, but I need some direction here. And then I got some bullshit about like, you know, chin up. Like, what does that mean? Chin up? Like just what, where do I go with this? So I guess I have to go back to Colorado uh, and go to my one place to get any sort of fortune cookie guidance. But yeah, I feel like decisions, uh, big life decisions made on something as arbitrary as fortune cookies, it, it worked out for me. So, you know, try it sometime and let me know how it goes. For I you. Two questions. One, it's about your company. You should call it fuck your fortune. And I think you should blur <laughs> out the last three uh, letters in fuck. Uh -huh. So it's just F and then asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. So then it, you can actually sell it on like packaging and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I thought my superstitions were weird. I only have one really crazy superstition, which mm -hmm. I don't think is crazy, but people think is insane. What, what is it? I don't think a plane will crash if there's a baby on it. I like the optimism. I appreciate that. I'm just like, God can't take something so innocent and so new. There you go. Everyone uh, else on the plane, I'm like, you're fucking going to hell. Right. Like, everyone is like, just like, when you get past the age of like 15, I think when internet porn hits your phone, or internet <laughs> porn first gets introduced, like as soon as you soil yourself with the sin of masturbation, you are immediately just a different person. You're not pure anymore. To me, you're just like a corrupted, pixelated soul. So I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm deep in it too. I don't give a shit. I'll condemn myself. But at the same time, when I see a baby, I'm like, this thing has no cares, no worries, mm -hmm. nothing in the world. Yep. So I'm like, that is pureness. And then everything else is just the four horsemen got let in when we figured out what Playboy was or Playgirl was. <laughs> or I don't know. I'm surprised you even remember those except as like iconic, uh, iconic things. Um, Hail to the so, Hefner, bro. Thank you. He's, he's amazing. And rest in peace. He did amazing uh, things in his career. Everybody just did. remembers him for porn, but nobody remembers. He rebuilt the Hollywood sign twice. The H in the Hollywood, it fell down twice. I think in 2002 uh -huh. and then in like 20, just recently too, in like 2017 what? or something like that. Well, I mean, I feel like he felt obligated because Hollywood had given him so much and it's the H. So he's like, H Hefner, like this is, this is my legacy. When they see that H, they will remember Hefner. No, we didn't give a shit about though. the homeless population yeah. though. They start with an H. He just said, fuck it. <laughs> You're like, Hefner, we really need to like refocus on these priorities, but no, that's, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Um, see, we're so educational yeah you hey you're full of those fun facts i have a few of those tucked up my sleeve as well on occasion when i, I love when uh, i say I, I know a bunch of fun facts and people are like well what is one of them and i'm like i don't know they just come up organically like i can't pull one it's like telling a comedian you know oh you're a comedian tell me a joke yeah. it's like 
I was just going to use that example too. I'm like, how many people like I had, uh, I'm not even, I've said it too many times. A dude rejected doing my podcast because he saw a tweet I put up about a ball gag and he was like, ah, it's it's funny, but not professional. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not a professional guy. Um, I'm not a professional comic either. I'm a professional jackass with a microphone. That's what we (laughs) like to say. But it's interesting too, because like, I feel like it's way easier to definitely tweet a joke rather than be able to get up on stage or be able to even say one in a chat. Like I'm not a comedian at all. I just can maybe say something that might be a little bit funny, but I wouldn't be able to craft it out into a joke. You know, it's, it's, it's just a different process of things too. I like to be able to have, like, I'm gifted with the ability to be able just to talk and see where that thing goes, if it's good or bad. But then there's people out there that are very talented where they'll sit there, think about a situation. They'll be able to craft bit Mm -hmm. after bit after bit after bit. And I just think that's a whole different horse. It really is. And I've been trying, like, this has been a process for uh, a while, but with um, being sober and having more clarity and time to think and stuff, um, I'll come up with these ideas about like standing in line at the grocery store at the self-checkout. I have a whole bit about it. Um, and I, I write all these things down. I type them out in my phone as they come and then, you know, they start fleshing out. And as I've been reading through these bits that I come up with, you know, they're just a few minutes. I start seeing like threads and things that connect them all lately. It's anxiety. So I'm like, Oh, maybe, (laughs) maybe I need to talk to someone about that. Um, but you know, I'm like, I could have a whole show that's just about anxiety or, or addiction or anxiety around addiction. Um, it doesn't sound funny, but I'm like, you know, you, a lot of comedians talk about, you know, being like alcoholics or addicts and being in recovery. And I love watching their journeys of, you know, comedians drinking like five or six beers in a show. And and then you see them drinking water later and making fun of their addiction and their journey or, you know, making light of it and saying, look, this really sucked, but this is where I am now. And let's all joke about it and laugh about it. Cause I always say, if you're, if you're not, uh, if you're not laughing, you're crying. A lot of my patients, I, I say that too, but um, Words are yeah. just funny to me. The fact that if you, you know, someone says I'm an addict, you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And it's immediately like a hurt bird. And then they go, well, I'm a sex addict. And then it's just seen as like a fucking sex addict. It's like right. tossed out the window. I'm just like, technically it's still the same thing. A lot it of is. people can't fucking help that. But mm-hmm. I don't see that the word addict to me has changed so much just on the concept of like, I listened to a podcast with Dr. Dr. Carl Hunt, I think his name is, mm-hmm. said how it's kind of like bullshit. It's really solving a problem that's there like you know you're Mm -hmm. using it to kind of mask which i think in some cases for sure is true but addiction to me it's just i always i still see them as a person that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to do they look at them like they need to be treated with kids gloves and i'm like no they're just a person that went through some bad shit you could happen at any time in your life it can to anyone um and so to preface that i work um i don't know i don't think we got around to it last time we spoke but uh i work as an admissions case manager basically for a very big addictions company. I'll leave them out of this, but they're they're amazing. So just a PSA, if anyone is struggling with addiction that's listening, get in touch with Robbie. He'll get you in touch with me. I'd love to help you out and get you- Don't get put you back my DMs track. out there. You're nuts. I got Scientologists messaging me. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. That's, I'm kidding. I'll uh, connect them. It's okay. Oh, they, well, I want to talk to Scientologists, but anyway. I got flat um, earthers, Scientologists. What do you yes. want? We are in store and we'll everything's in stock. Okay. Well, you, you can now be a part of the uh, addiction recovery community. But basically, my job is to help people get into rehab, you know, uh, inpatient, outpatient, you name it. But 
we're not really 12 steppers. Like they're kind of in there sprinkled in because, you know, it's just kind of a part of recovery, whether it's, you know, AANA smart recovery. It's just, it's good to have a, a view of it, but it's dual diagnosis or co-occurring disorders. I know you're super into mental health, but like I you said- I went to school for chemical the, dependency and then I went that's to right, that's psychology. Right. So there you go. So that's exactly what we do in understanding that addiction is uh, a symptom of those underlying issues of depression, anxiety, trauma, OCD, literally just listed all of my mental health diagnoses. Um, you know, whether it's bipolar disorder, you know, we're, we're self-medicating, you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think being an alcoholic sounds like a lot of fun. Nobody says that. And you're right. The, the stigma around addiction and being an addict is changing a lot. Even in the last few years, you know, people are seeing, Oh wait, it's, it's not, it's not a moral failure. That's it. It's not a moral failure. It's not that they're a weak person, but, um, the, the brain chemistry, like breaking it down for people like this, where addiction happens. So you have your frontal lobe, which is intellect, how we're speaking, how we connect with other people, our logic, um, rationale. And then our midbrain is our animal brain, which is our survival instincts where our, our dopamine takes place. And so when you eat food, your dopamine goes up and your brain says, Hey, that's good. Keep doing that. You'll survive. And then the back of our brain is controlling our heartbeat digestion, all the stuff we have no control over for the most part. Um, and when you take in an artificial substance, whether it's cigarettes, alcohol, sugar, um, heroin, meth, whatever it is, your dopamine gets artificially raised and you do that enough. And when you start saying, well, you know, people, a lot of, there's a lot of jokes around this or a lot of people do it, or it's shown in media. I've had a really bad week. I'm going to go home and have a glass of wine, or I'm going to go home and have a bottle of wine. Glass of Pinot Noir is what they say. Right. I'm going to go put in my like Chardonnay and put some ice cubes in it and go sit outside. So it's for the 40 year old white women in the suburbs. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, and that starts to become a survival thing. So one day you say, oh, I've had a hard day and your brain goes, go have a glass of wine. And then suddenly it's okay. I lost a, a friend, you know, in a car crash, I'm going to go have a bottle of wine. And then so every single thing, the, the way you survive it, you turn to alcohol instead of all these other coping mechanisms you might have had, you know, going to the gym, taking a walk, reaching out to a friend, you know, watching a movie, whatever it is, it becomes alcohol or, you know, your preferred substance. And I, I describe it as it's like being stranded on a deserted desert island. You have no fresh water, no land in sight. You're alone, like cast away ain't happening. You've seen the movie. Sorry, not going to work for you this time. And the only thing you have to drink is salt water. And you know, especially you living by the, the beach, you drink salt water and you have nothing else, you will die and you'll die faster, but you drink it anyway, because your survival instincts are so strong. And they say, you have to drink that water. Um, and I remember uh, going home one night and I'm like, okay, it's after work. I'm not going to drink. I need to take it a little easy. I've been going a bit too hard, you know, waking up hungover every day. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm driving to the grocery store. And I'm like, wait a minute, Carla, you know, front of my brain screaming, Carla, what are you doing? You're, you're not drinking tonight, but you're driving anyway. You're driving. And it's like you're on autopilot. Like you can't fight it. Next thing you know, you're walking down the wine aisle or beer aisle or, you know, picking up your fifth of vodka, whatever it is. And you're still kicking and screaming inside your head. And everyone I work with, specifically alcohol uh, that I help, they say the exact same thing. They're like, oh, you nailed it right on the head. Like I cannot stop myself. 
physically cannot stop myself no matter how much I want to. And that's how powerful it is that you are yelling and kicking and screaming at your own brain and you still can't stop it. So addiction is powerful. I mean, you know, people are like, well, it's ruining their lives. How can they keep doing this? I'm like, yeah, it's ruining their lives. Do you think they want to keep doing this? Like, it's just taking a step back and saying, this is how powerful this is. And that's why, you know, the industry is changing so much to be about mental health. Like you address the anxiety, you address the depression or bipolar disorder. Um, You know, you give people healthy coping mechanisms and like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy are very effective for addiction treatment. And the addiction is a lot more manageable. You know, it never goes away ever. It's, it's kind of like diabetes or asthma. You're going to have that for life. You got to maintain it. Um, but, and it's always there. So you kind of got to keep an eye on it. Uh, but, and, and relapses, you know, 5% of people stay sober long-term. I don't know if, if you knew that. Um, so, cause people call and they're like, well, what's the guarantee of, of my loved one staying sober? I'm like, uh, sobriety doesn't come with any, uh, warranty or lifetime guarantee. Sorry. <laughs> it's just not the way it works. Um, most people relapse and I have to be very real with people. I'm like, yeah, you're going to pay a lot of money for this, or your insurance is going to pay a lot of money. I can't provide you with any guarantee that's on your loved one to stay sober. It's on them to do, to do the work and continue the care after rehab. Um, that's, yeah, that's up to them. See, that's where I agree with Carl Hunt is that rehabs are kind of bullshit in a way. Funny thing is about rehabs is a lot of the people that do get out of rehab end up returning back to rehab because they're treating Mm -hmm. like, let's say a heroin addiction. You can get the person off heroin, but if you don't fix the core issue of what's going on in their life, that is making them turn to heroin to keep using the drug, then they're just going to turn to another substance down there too. You know, a person who's doing heroin gets off heroin, goes home and their house is still burned down. Their house is still burned down. There's nothing Mm -hmm. that's been fixed. So you're not detecting the catalyst. And this is why I love the human brain so much, which is like, if you look at psychology, there's thousands of fields that go into psychology when it's talking mm-hmm. about, if you just want to focus on environmental influences, behavioral influence, one ironotic psycho, anything you want to talk about when it comes to like, maybe if you just want to focus on schizophrenia, that's why I was like, I don't know if I want to be a psychologist because I like learning all these. I don't want to have to be a master in one field with a minor right. in another field. I want to dip my toes in every single one of them yeah. because each one is so fascinating. Now, the one I did get stuck to besides chemical dependency was schizophrenia because that one had me the most challenged where I was trying to put myself in their perspective of things. And I eventually Mm -hmm. did um, in my life have a very, very caring figure. That was my buddy's mom. Mm -hmm. Um, She ended up shooting herself, uh, which was because of schizophrenia because she Mm -hmm. thought that there was someone outside her door coming to kill her and she thought there was no escape and then took her in life was a very very sad and I miss that my buddy dearly we don't really talk anymore but it was just a few years ago Mm -hmm. it's very very hard when someone normal who doesn't understand the capacity of mental health hears that they think like what the fuck is wrong with that Mm -hmm. person it's like you got to see it i see it every time i see a headline and someone's going on a schizophrenic break Mm -hmm. when i see a school shooter or something like that not only do i care for the people that are being hurt but i look at like Mm -hmm. what's going on in that person's life that turned this person to get to that stage Mm -hmm. and people will go well like then you don't have empathy for the people that person's a psychopath i'm like shouldn't you be able to try and understand the psychopath a little bit yes the weird part about the brain is you never know what can make it tick what can make it think what can make it do so many different stuffs and right now everyone's acting the way people want that you think they want you to act rather Mm -hmm. than being themselves it's like i'm walking around in a sea of fucking fake people and i'm just like 
Yeah. When you ask how my day's going, do you give a shit? Do you really no. give a shit? Or are you just saying it for filler words? And that's the probably right. the biggest question, the easiest one that can assemble what's going on into your own head when you start looking at the fact of like depression. Just because you don't have it now and you might be 40, you might be 50, doesn't mean it can never hit you. It's like being the mailbox when a kid's coming by on a truck with a bat ready to swing and hit for you. It can hit you at any yeah. time in your life. And I this like is, that. It's a good it, analogy. It's very, very important to focus in on a lot of these factors, which is why I like asking people about their dreams, asking people about their thoughts, asking people mm -hmm. about their perspective on things. Because when you can step literally in that person's mindset in their shoes, you can understand where they're coming from. And you realize that sure. everything that mm -hmm. led up to them thinking that way, and you're not, that doesn't, that, that sounds like it's coming from like, I'm in a better perspective position. It's not, it's just coming from an understanding one of like, mm -hmm. oh shit, I see why you see it now. It's like yeah. kind of like two sides of an argument. Sometimes that argument's in their own head and that's yeah. really fucking difficult yes and that's i mean and that's what i like what we do so much because we are a bit of um, pioneers in the field that's why i'm saying like we don't really touch the 12 steps it is therapy after therapy after therapy which is whether it's art therapy or music therapy or emdr um i movement desensitization and reprocessing which is really key for severe ptsd you know we treat veterans um we're just so mental health heavy and when it comes to traditional rehabs um especially state-funded ones unfortunately like their success rate of long-term sobriety is 17 to 19 percent a lot of that is because people who go to state rehabs don't want to be there. They're core ordered. Um, but then, you know, and there are people that really want to stay sober that can't, can't get there, don't have insurance money, whatever. And they go because they want to be there, but it's so just, it's like being an AA or NA meetings. I don't know if you've ever been to one, but you know, you talk about a, a step and you share if you want, and it's led by a peer, which is great. It's free. But if you're doing that eight hours a day, the 12 steps, sure, it's a really good way to work through things, but it doesn't really address mental health. Um, it addresses the the things around you um, a lot of times. And people are going to like totally, I'm sure, bash you <laughs> on, on your podcast for me being a, a, an anti-12 stepper. And I'm, I'm not. The 12 steps are beautiful. They're wonderful. I think everybody should work them, whether you have an addiction or not, because it really is about processing um, how you relate to the world and taking responsibility for yourself. That's a big thing, but yeah, the, the rehab world is scary. There's been a lot of new regulations around it because it can be a scam. I mean, there's places I'll charge you 40 grand for the month and literally there's like metal folding chairs and a TV, and maybe you get an hour of counseling a day. Um, there, those, there's real scams like they're out that out there like that it's getting better again, but it's still, it, it still happens. Um, it's a money-making industry. And so I'm not gonna lie, we're a private company. They want to make money. I'm not there for that. Like I am there because I've been on the other side of that phone, so to speak. I never went to rehab, but I know that if I got back to the point I was, my ass is going to rehab and probably to one of our places. Cause I love the people, you know, they're so compassionate and caring. I sent my re uh, my uh, roommate to rehab and uh, look at the overgeneralization of, so. of people. 
that when they say you went to a rehab and those rehabs are all like money schemes. And then mm -hmm. their thought is you're an idiot for going and paying for some same kind yeah. of way. I think of somebody that picks up a motivation book for me, motivation. I'm like, I don't need that, but I understand the concept of people picking up because you are literally mm -hmm. at a point where you're going to pay to read something that hopefully will have some type of effect yeah. onto your life to make positively it the situation yeah. that is now. So I might joke around and dismiss them, but they do have, they do have a meaning in at least the yes, world today. They, People's they minds. have a purpose and a place. Uh, some people don't need it. And some people you haven't found the right one. You know, some people need all experiential. Um, and that's like you said, everybody's so individual. And like the reason that I drink is totally different than the person next to me. And, and the reason they drink, the commonality is we both drink to self-medicate. And the important thing is why are we self-medicating? The best so, advice yeah. I've heard, like uh -huh. this is the example of the 12 steps mm -hmm. is that the 12 steps are a template and you can take one or a couple of those steps that might fit your scenario, mm -hmm. but not all of them might correlate. I think that's very right. important. A lot of people think you need to follow them 12 step religiously. Oh I've talked to plenty of people that say, no, I only use a couple of them and stuff like that. Like the major yeah. ones, like don't pick another drink back up. Don't do that type mm -hmm. of the, the common ones you would think. And it's just like, you have to to also understand that people are so different people are so malleable this is actually the reason why mm -hmm. like later after we get done recording i have a few cult leaders that are coming on to my podcast like yes. actual people that have left that whole situation oh that's exciting it's trying to understand that we're all trying to find where we fit and each mm -hmm. person is going to have their own description of what they feel like fits their needs for everything which is why i'm so interested in it because so many people be like you did this and want to shame a person rather than trying yeah. to understand them it's also not about acting like you know they're a hurt bird either i fucking hate mm -hmm. that more than anything when someone talks to someone with kids gloves i'm like just talk to them yeah like they're a fucking person and you're gonna get more results yeah. you're gonna get a better understanding people will truly never sure. be open with you if you act like they're different or you're better than them it's yeah just, it's very very complicated mm -hmm. in the world because i think people's minds they want to think the worst because they're just everything we're being shown right it's yeah it's, it's hard and that's the thing with rehab Two people call in and they're terrified. It's more like a psych ward where it's, you know, four concrete walls and bars on the window and they have to give up their cell phone and can't leave. And first of all, if you go to rehab and they lock you down, it's illegal, call the cops. <laughs> they were not, you, it is all voluntary. You know, there's, there's no psych holds or anything for rehabs. It, you go there by your own free will. You stay there by your own free will. Most of the time these days, they're really nice accommodations. You know, um, a lot of them. There's a podcast called American Rehab by NPR that is fascinating. And then there's also a movie that came out called Body Brokers. I haven't watched it. I think it's, I deal with addiction so much in my work and in my daily life. I don't want to consume more media about it because it's just, I look forward to the day when I'm not working in the addiction field because it, it can be overwhelming, but this has been the best thing for my sobriety. I'm literally doing addiction work 40 plus hours a week. So no problem staying sober in that aspect, but, uh, there's, there's been some really fascinating, um, light being shown on the actual rehab world. And, you know, uh, there was one, I won't name it, but basically you worked 40 hours a week, you work for your keep, you don't get paid for it. It goes towards room and board. And then if you're lucky, you like counselors would go wake people up at like 10, 11 at night. Cause that was the only time they were going to get counseling. Um, it was just heartbreaking. 
and that's, that's not helping. I mean, some people believe, and this is an older generational thing, like, well, you go work and you get a regimen and well, I quit drinking 27 years ago and I never touched a drop since. And it's a lot, it's a lot of these older guys that are like in their seventies or they're not wrong. I mean, my grandma, she cigarettes went up in price and she stopped smoking cigarettes after 40 years. She's like, fuck it. I'm not getting right? any more money. But then she did, we call her two beer queer because she'll drink two Millers and then she's off to the races. Um, <laughs> but you know, she had that willpower to do so. And some other people yeah. need more. It all depends. Cause like I look at a person's life, for instance, when they have something that they're easy to beat and for another person, it might be extremely difficult then mm-hmm. that person has something in their life that's very difficult for them to beat. And that mm-hmm. other person is extremely good at it. You know, you got to find, like, I think everyone has like a certain crutch and then a certain thing about them that is like, this doesn't affect me at yeah. all. You know, everyone, everyone has a codependency. Everybody does, whether it's food or another person or a substance, everybody copes with life with something uh, in some way, even if it's not to the point of negatively affecting your life, like it, you'll have something people say, I don't, I'm like, mm, take a good look. What do you do when you have a hard day? You know, um, or you have a fight with a loved one, but, uh, what's, I wanted to go back to something you just said. Um, oh, why these, uh, this older generation, you know, boomers and a little bit older are so skeptical about rehab, like proper rehab, mental health rehab, not the traditional crap you see on the TV, um, is they had a different world. We have a very different world right now than what they were handed. They lived in a time where the ability to be successful, to be able to pay for college with the summer's work, you know, you could pay for the year working at minimum wage back in the eighties, you could pay for a, uh, a year of college that way. And look at the world we're handed now, you know, the ability to, move upward. Uh, we're left with a ton of debt. You know, there's, there's all these things that we've been, we've been handed a pile of shit. Basically we have to deal with climate change. We have to deal with inequality because they were just like, we're going to do whatever we want. And, and so I think mental health back then was, it was just, it was a different animal. I think there was a lot more hope than there is now. Uh, for, and that's, I mean, that's just how I see it. And I tell them that straight up. I'm like, you know, there's a lot more anxiety and depression these days than there used to be. And, um, you know, you you had it pretty good. You had the ability to go into a job entry level, meaning you have no experience and work your way up. Entry level now is five years experience and a PhD. That's entry level. So what kind of hope does that give us to better our lives? And it's no wonder we're coping with substances. There's such a loss of hope, um, you know, as especially millennials right now, you know, Gen Y is okay. Millennials are really struggling. I feel bad for Gen, Gen Z. You guys are being handed an Eber I'm a Eber pile of shit. Are you considered a millennial? Yeah. I was born okay. in 97. Okay. So you're like right at the very tail end of it. And I'm considered right in the middle. Um, if you, if you want to see a really good special, um, Eliza Schlesinger is one of my favorite comedians ever. She does a, a show called elder millennial, I think she was like 35 when she did it she's been and on the podcast shut up no i'm just kidding oh my god don't probably i've heard of her me there. before but I she's amazing any of her work watch it it's really good but us uh, had the guy from jim jeffrey show on here and he was like yeah i work for jim jeffries i'm like i don't know who fuck that is man i don't know that's one of my is. other favorite comedians oh my god. i think gosh. we talked about this last time yeah we did we did but eliza like three favorites and that's it 
Yeah. And you gave me a few. I still have it on a sticky note somewhere as everybody can see this. I love it notes. when you made a sticky note for our podcast recording, you were like did. interview. And then you knew, you don't understand how I snapped in that instance. And then you sent you me a did, message actually. before I could even respond. You said, cross it out and put conversation. I was like, yeah, right. I'll even show it to the lovely, lovely people. It's not the greatest, sorry, light. There we go. So interview with, with Robbie. Um, and then I wrote in conversation, crossed it out and wrote conversation. That was actually how I wanted to start this whole thing is, uh, I love giving you a hard time about it. I know you see it as a conversation. So I wanted to start like interviewing. It's you. just, it's just so, mess with your head. it's <laughs> so hard because like, I literally just had it happen. Not even like an hour ago, a guy was like, can you tell me a little bit about what you mean? Conversation. I just sent him the definition of conversation through Google. I was like that. <laughs> I just tell people check out the show and it seems rude, but it's like, I, it's the best way I can explain it because each one is so rapidly different. Because like when you put the idea of an interview in someone's head, then it just becomes question mm-hmm. based, and then it's like right. I'm pulling teeth out, and I'm like, I like the hour to fly yeah. by like that. Like we've almost been talking for an hour. I like it to fly by well, quick. So yeah, it, it's it's easy and it's fun and it's more engaging for the audience member that likes to sit there and listen or engaging for. If I'm not having fun, then I don't want to do it. Like that's the big thing. And it's when you get into an interview right. mode, it's like, oh my god, you end up hearing everybody talk about themselves for like two hours that goes by like 10 years and you just right gun to the freaking roof of the mouth (laughs) and if it's if it's someone incredibly fascinating then then great and I think and I I told you this last time Robbie you do find fascinating people I know it's not necessarily what you're seeking but I think you you definitely get back what you put out there uh there was a word for it and I forget what it was I heard it the other day but just like um before I got that, there, that too, you know, <laughs> uh, no, you, you like when I was in the depths of my alcoholism, um, I, or substance abuse disorder, when things were really bad, when life was spiraling, I had a lot of people around me that were heavy drinkers, partiers, you know, use substances, whatever, or just toxic people in general. And then I got sober and I have a lot more sober people in my life. I don't go to AA. Um, I had some really traumatic experiences going back to cults. I I think that's what makes AA really bad is that people do take it to a cult-like level. That's what it's turned into in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all you do. That's the only people you hang out with. And if you don't do it right, some people are even to the point of you can't even take Tylenol for a headache like so just nothing in your brain in your body and I'm like I get why they say abstinence only in the sense of like no marijuana because it it tickles the same brain receptors that your favorite substance does so your brain will say hey you know Robbie that feels pretty good but you know what you really like nicotine ah so sometimes I I hit a cigar I hit a like a, a really good Marlboro Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I got to shit. I got to do so much. My <laughs> brain just goes down into shut. I had to study what that was because I was vaping this like uh-huh. salt nick juice in my vape. And uh-huh. if you do salt nick in a regular vape like my own, a regular salt nick vape only goes up to like 30 watts or 40 watts mm-hmm. because it, the juice is so freaking strong. It's like so pure nicotine in it. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it in a vape that went to like 150. I would have of that. So I was vaping the highest nicotine content, 64 salt. Oh nick, my God. And I would hit it. And I feel like I was about to like pass out. Like, you know, when you get too drunk, you know, blackouts yeah. coming, that would happen. Uh-huh. But I have to go to the bathroom extremely. And I would ask, I asked the guy at the vape shop. I was like, yo, when I hit this in my regular vape, 
Like I can't drive. I can't do anything for like a minute. I just feel like oh, I got a breath and I think like I'm about yeah. to pass out. And he goes, Oh, you know what that is. Right. And he goes, do you also get to like, they have to go to the bathroom. I was like, yeah, a mm -hmm. lot. Like right then, if I don't do it, it's going to happen. And he goes, yeah. So, you know, when you die in your brain, like when you die, they say people poop themselves or release themselves. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. He goes, you're basically shutting down your brain and your brain's experiencing symptoms of like what death would be. So wow. now your body's trying to release all those things. So you're basically like killing your nerves and your brain. Right. Right. Possibly you can cause brain damage. And I'm like, good to know. Shit. Now, there's a reason I don't vape. Um, I actually quit cigarettes. I actually quit cigarettes a few months ago. So it took me two years, uh, or I've been sober for two years as of March 1st. Sober. Um, I put big air quotes around that because I think that means very different things to very different people. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm not ruining my life anymore. So that feels good. Um, but uh, yeah, I quit four months ago, but <laughs> I looked into it like, Caffeine, you know how there's jokes about coffee makes me poop, right? I mean, they have mugs about it. Um, probably Why? after this, we're done. I'm going to go. I'm going to go poop, uh, probably. But really? caffeine, nicotine, methamphetamine, I will. You better <laughs> hey, I have an Instagram called Trash Toilets of Instagram or Trash Toilets of IG. Yo, you got to post mine on there. My doctor sent it into WebMD because he was like, this is great. Because I won't go for like 60 some something days. So when it comes out, it's like. I have an intestinal disease, so I've just. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, you might want to get that looked at, but anything. I have that been ends for with... two years. Took John Hopkins <laughs> to court and didn't get fucking shit. I won, no. thank God. But even the yeah. judge was like, "I'm surprised." I'm like, "Fucking!" I didn't even yeah. know I was going against them. I thought I was going against Priority Partners. Oh wow, John Hopkins, that, that's a beast to take on. So yeah, anything that ends in "een" is uh, a stimulant. And what happens, and this may be a part of why you have to go shit yourself too, is the caffeine or nicotine um, stimulates your digestive system. Like it, it's like, oh, hey, I'm awake. Just like you do when your brain too. It's like, oh, hey, I'm awake. So when people say cigarettes relax me, that's why I keep smoking. No, no, it's the deep breathing that relaxes you. Nicotine's an upper. It keeps you going. So it's there's a lot of bullshit reasons. That's it's a why lot of, it's a lot of lies from the nicotine industry. But yeah. I think my average consumption of caffeine probably a day let's see i do well, i don't know the milligrams of caffeine in a coffee but i mm -hmm. drink probably at least two and a half pots a day one before i go to bed too uh, mm -hmm. I, my energy drink content has cut way down i used to do like 30 rock stars a day now i'm at like maybe one or two my see i have How caffeine doesn't hit me caffeine doesn't hit me like i used to do before i got into my jet ski mm -hmm. accident when i was doing jet skis i was doing uh four 32 ounce red bulls the really tall ones on my way to work with a bag of skittles i was 17 but then oh, like yeah my I mean, brother's okay. girlfriend's like yo you're not gonna make it to 26 we're gonna cut this out right here so then i like knocked it back but like my yeah. pre-workout usually is like four bangs mixed up into one and then i hey, do at least there's no sugar <laughs> 10 scoops of pre-workout and I don't feel anything. My veins get bigger though, but that's about it. I ADHD, that's... just no caffeine, it's nothing. Oh, okay. So if you're ADHD, you, you, you don't count in this. Um, cause it does the opposite for you. Well, and I'll explain, I'll explain. Um, so I get a lot of people calling in and they're like, I'm addicted. Meth is probably one of the main calls I get. Uh, it, it actually, so meth? nicotine and yeah, nicotine and alcohol raises your dopamine 100%. Um, Heroin about 600%, <clears throat> excuse me, and methamphetamine 6,000%, which is why it is so hard to get off of. But I, I talk to people all the time and I'm asking them about their mental health. That's part of the admissions process. And they're like, yeah, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm like, 
does meth calm you down? They're like, yeah, it helps me focus. Like without it, I can't function because <laughs> they're not me on and medications. Exactly. Exactly. So there is a place for, <clears throat> excuse me, these drugs, pharmaceutical drugs. Um, and there's ones that aren't uh, technically stimulants as well, but you know, meth, it's cheap. It's easy to find, but it meth, it's, the, it's so bad for you. We were so talking bad about pills earlier. Uh-huh. So I, I never got a prescription for Adderall. I just, my uh -huh. parents were like, no, we don't want him to be like losing his hair and stuff like that. So no, thank you. <laughs> I haven't heard those side effects, but I mean, not to say they don't exist. That was when I was wild. a kid. So they were like, I've heard oh, terrible things about yeah. this, you know, going whatever, all these horrible reactions that happen when you take Adderall or some mm -hmm. type of medication for it. So I never took it. So I just kind of learned to kind of balance it out and work mm -hmm. with it, like be able to manage it a little bit. Sure. Um, it makes me productive as hell. Yeah, but I remember taking Adderall once and it was so this goes to the pill thing. You ever try a random pill? So my buddy opens up a thing of Mentos and he's got like the little, like the old school Altoids tins. That's what it is. The Altoids. Wow. Tins. Okay. And he's like, I put a bunch of Adderall in here with these mints. So mm -hmm. you take one and then it's a surprise and you can kind of tell when you put <laughs> it in your mouth. You're like, okay, that's a freaking mint. Right. Um, but I took one and then it wasn't it was an Adderall. And I just remember sitting on a, we went to a cracker barrel cause we were leaving a concert and I remember sitting mm -hmm. on this, those rocking chairs out front, didn't yeah. get any food. I just lost my hunger, but I remember right. everything was so like, I'm here right now. And I literally could swear I was creaking and I could match it with the wind chimes, with the birds chirping, with a bunch of stuff. Wow. And I just found the sound of the universe. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm freaking great right now. Like right. I can I don't have thoughts going on. That's what I didn't like was I couldn't think, which mm -hmm. if you have depression like myself, it is good and bad. But I feel like you need to also confront what those things are or they're never going to go away and you can take a pill sure. for the rest of your life. But being mindless, being a zombie just doesn't, yeah. that doesn't correlate well with me. And there's some things that just cannot be treated with medication, uh, borderline personality disorder being one of them. You cannot treat it with medication, same with OCD. Um, but they're starting to find that uh, ADHD, so I, I may be misdiagnosed. I need to do a much uh, more in-depth battery or test. ADD is like not being able to focus. ADHD is like the same thing with ADD. It just has hyper uh, activity on top of it. So. Right, right. So that inability to focus. So yeah. they're saying though that OCD and ADD or ADHD uh, there's a lot of similar symptoms and people are getting misdiagnosed with one or the other and they present very similarly. So I got on a medication that was a very, very mild stimulant. And I discovered when I ran out that I'm like, wow, I'm a lot less focused. And that maybe, you know, maybe I have OCD with ADHD tendencies I, or vice versa. I think you might just have OCD because ADHD, like I think where they're saying it's similar, there's a difference you can tell though is all about the mannerisms of the person. If a person is like fixing a bunch of stuff really sporadically, mm -hmm. that's not ADHD, that's OCD because they feel the need that everything's out of place. So it's nice to keep things organized. Right. When right. you have ADHD, that's a little bit different because ADHD is more on the concept of like, I just, anything is like one minute, this is this, yeah. this, and then it's a complete 10 minute or 20 minute, like shutdown where you're like, I can sleep. And then it just kicks right back up. Like you'll have energy right. one minute, gone the next, then back again. Like it just revamps like a battery, just being replaced, mm -hmm. replaced, replaced. OCD is more like, I sense it because I have people in my family that have OCD. And then I also mm -hmm. know people at, when I go to my gym that have a gym addiction, when they have the OCD to work out the thing, like I need to work out right now, you're stopping me mm -hmm. from working out. And they just start to become really what looks like uncomfortable. Yeah. Where it's like 
what is wrong with you? I, I said, I was turning it. It's like, no, no, no. It's got to work in this process. It's got to work in this process. I'm like, that's OCD because like I'll be at work and someone at my work will just come in trash everything. Like, you know, when they're setting up their stuff or when they're doing whatever, right. I keep every drawer open, looking for something, I'll go mm-hmm. behind them and shut everything and fix <laughs> right. everything, make it everything organized. I'm like, it's, I don't have OCD when it comes to that. It's just, if you make the shit organized, it's like making your bed in the morning. It makes the whole right. damn place look good. Just- and feel good. It's, it's that, that energy and that flow and, and, and a mindset too. And here's where ADHD and OCD can present really similarly. Like you were talking about that, that need for things to be in order. Now people have this preconceived notion from media that OCD means your place is spotless. Everything has to be in line. Exactly. Um, that there's, there's just, you have to turn the lights on and off three times. I mean, things like that that's couldn't be further from the truth. Like I, my place is untidy. Um, but like, if I get into what I call these cleaning modes where I will for 10 hours, I'll be doing the random stuff. And I'm like, I should have cleaned the cobwebs off the ceiling, you know, a month ago, but now I'm doing it. And then I'm also fixing the doorknob that's loose. And I will do that throughout the house for hours, just little odds and ends. And I that's used to do that where with OCD my own. comes in. I used to have my dog. I had two little mm-hmm. dogs um, and one was getting old. Like I think she lived mm-hmm. like 14. So I would always flick the light switch up and down, up and down, up and down mm-hmm. before I left the house, make sure she stay alive while I was at school or something like that. Right. Something you build up in your head because it is a part of a, your thoughts and your fears. Where yeah, it's like, I remember superstition yeah, rather I than just, an OCD. I just did it like maybe a couple of months ago. I started flicking the light switch up and down like other and I was saying my dog's mm-hmm. name. I was like, wait a minute, my dog's fucking dead. Why am I doing this? And it's like some simple stuff like that. Like I have a gym addiction, but it's gotten way easier on me because I just, I think podcasting is now taking over that aspect of it. But like, I used to be like, no, my workout, my workout. I do do my workouts very early in the morning and I can't Mm -hmm. talk to anyone until that is complete. Like no podcast around my workout, but the feeling that if I'm working out and I have one coming up, I will cut it a little bit early and head home on the aspect Mm -hmm. of like, I don't feel like I need to be there two and a half hours or this and this and this and this. And then I completely go overboard. If I, let's say, you know, I have a day off tomorrow, I'll probably work out in the morning and then do four hours elliptical, but that's fine. You're you're a braver person than I. I Hulu. just started going to the. <laughs> I just started going to the gym uh, because my kickboxing gym closed down permanently. Womp womp. And I like thing. I like I like solo sports. Team sports give me anxiety. Um, because team sports OC, give me anxiety. A one hundred percent because I don't want to be a failure for the team. I'm not super like coordinated. Oh my god, you got to get over that one. Oh dear lord, no! It's Come never, on. I, ever since I was a kid, ever like. Four years old, quit soccer, joined color guard at one point, quit, did like some, you know, uh, unofficial, like I did kickball with work a few years ago, like a social league, miserable. I hated it. I became team mom. You know, I brought stuff. I was coach. I was creating the lineup, like so much. I've quit every team sport, but I like, I like sports where I can be solo and barefoot apparently. So karate, yoga, kickboxing. I mean, you, if it's barefoot and I do it solo, I'm great. So my gym closed down. So I started going to the gym. I got a membership and I enjoy it. I used to be bored by it, but I'll listen to some really good music. And, but I, I realized I started getting a routine rowing machine, love a rowing machine, rowing machine, arms, abs, legs, back to rowing machine. And I have a, a pretty specific order in what I do. Um, I mix it up a little bit cause you do need that, um, the, you know, the, you know what I mean? It's my back day. 
So see, I, I like the, the version where you're like keeping your body confused where it's like, wait a minute, I just did arms. Now we're doing legs. Well, I don't set it for like a Thursday is going to be back day. Mine always, I work out every day, so I don't Mm -hmm. take a rest period. So then when I do work out, my days are always changing. So I'm never getting the same day, same routine. But the one thing I always do, at least before coronavirus, I was doing extremely was I'd always save an hour just for abs. So I would do Mm -hmm. at least 1000 hanging leg raises. And then I always try and hit 800 per weight that I add on top of it. So about 10 sets of different weight, but 800 reps of uh, ab pull downs. I still do the 800. Um, like I made it to the bottom of the stack, I think uh, two days ago, which mm-hmm. is like 97 pounds, I think. And you're pulling down. Um, yeah. and then my nose started bleeding and I was like, maybe I should stop because <laughs> I'm smelling chill, toast. Come, come, you know, CTFO chill the fuck out. Yeah. I, I, man, I couldn't do, I don't have, again, the attention span. Like I would go for an hour and a half and I would actually enjoy it. And I would take my time. Um, again, love the rowing machine was trying to get further, you know, in less time, you know, like, uh, I think a thousand, no, 1500 meters in 10 minutes on the seat of the rowing machine. Uh-huh. It keeps, nobody believes me, but when I do legs, like I I'm like, my ass bones will leave a print and they're like, no way. And then I do my legs on the yeah. leg press, or I do them on the rowing machine and the uh-huh. cushion of the seat. You can see I have two little circle indents <laughs> where my ass bones were going. I just, it's not that I don't have an ass. I do a bunch of ass workouts, but I can't get like size on it. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I can help you with that. You can borrow some of mine. I have plenty of ass to go around. Um, but yeah, that's what squats and leg presses are for. Actually, I hate squats, but I'll do a ton of stuff on the leg press. But... I will not do deadlifts. Oh, dear God, no. I did I them, this. but I'm pretty sure that's probably what messed up my back. And that's why everyone's been thinking yeah. I have an intestinal issue because my back is like, feels like there's a, something in the left part of it that's not oh, working properly. I'm like, that that's a disc. Awful. That sounds awful. So I just want to be Ronnie Coleman. I have no idea who that is. Mr. Olympia eight times. He, he used to be a cop and he was like, I never got any action. I'm like, do you think it's cause you were 300 pounds and 0.3% body fat? You were less than 1%. Yeah. And he was like, uh, I don't think it, like, if you look at pictures of him, I don't think it looks good mm, at all. It looks no. like you can see the muscles. Like there's no fat. It's just muscle. Yeah. And that's addiction. I think those bodybuilders, it's 100% an addiction. He had a documentary Um, on Netflix you should watch about. It's like addiction. There you go. He was like lifting weights. He has the crutches on his arms because his body's just hype, like just atrophied so bad. And the doctor's like, if he just stops working out, it'll come back to normal. I mean, he's he's doing a 85 pound dumbbell curl with the crutches on his arms. He's like, I won't stop. I won't stop. I'm like, you're just an excellent. You're ruining your life. Yeah, you're ruining your life with this and relationships, I'm sure. Uh, I always joke that at the gym, because um, I would go on Friday nights. I like going at night. I like going nine, nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. Because one, there's 1 no one there. Oof, yeah, no, that's, I, I'm generally like, starting to go to sleep at that point. But yeah, 10 o'clock at night, no one's there. I can be on any machine I want. It's, you know, much more socially distanced. It's a lot easier to be. And I would always see the same group of gym rats every single night I was there when I would go two or or three to four times a week. And I would joke that there's the only people you'll see at 10 o'clock at the gym on a Friday night was one, if you're a gym rat. Okay. Obvious Two, um, you're, more elderly and you just kind of want to take your time and mosey about uh three if you're very self-conscious about working out so a lot of people who are heavier who don't have any body confidence you see a lot of people like that there i just want to go and like cheer them on be like 
you got this, keep it up. You can do it. And then, um, addicts, <laughs> because we don't want to be out on a Friday night doing anything. And I, I remember, uh, on March 1st, my sober, my two year sober day, I went to the gym, you know, people would normally go out and celebrate something like that with a couple of drinks. Well, what am I going to do? I went to the gym and rode like 1500 meters in 10 minutes, I think was what I did, which was my personal best, or was it a thousand meters in five minutes? I don't know. I took a picture and whatever, but I was like, who, you know, what, what do you do when you get two years sobriety, you go to the gym and fucking kill it. You know, just what a mindset it is when it comes to, you know, with the, the mental health and sobriety and just how you cope with things in, in new and different ways. And I feel like, and I wanted to ask you about this. So I feel like getting diagnosed, really understanding, putting a name to what's going on in your head can be really helpful, but I think it can also be really detrimental. Like finding out that I'm OCD. I never thought of myself as like properly OCD because I wasn't going and flicking on the light switches. I didn't have to have everything in order, but like I put my books in, in rainbow order, you know, stuff like that. That's really satisfying. Yeah. But you ever see Malcolm in the middle? I mean, I know the show, but I never really watched it. The dad on there, because the one kid was this, or the one uh, kid, it's like he was spending the night at the kid's house or the Malcolm's house. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, he was a neighbor's kid, but he has like no mm-hmm. friends because he's really weird. And everyone's like, well, he's like cutting up shirts, replacing red with blue, red with blue, red with blue, and just doing all these mm-hmm. crazy things. And the dad goes, let me help him out. He goes, what do you mean? He's crazy. Stay away from him. He's got an axe. He grabs the axe from the kid's hand and goes, you want to know how I deal with my OCD? And he pulls down Webster's dictionary and he opens it up. And each on each page, all the certain words with t's r's q's whatever are all circled he goes this is how i do it you know i just do this circle these and i once i get it out i'm good all day and then like he shows it to him and it's like i have to try that (laughs) there's i don't i think there's a good and a bad way with everything if it helps somebody get through something then go ahead and do it but if it's physically hurting somebody else or it's causing you to like even with the gym addiction thing there were times i wouldn't go to restaurants i would miss out on things you know Mm -hmm. i needed to do this certain thing my since i've worked out every day for nine years my clock has changed all around the spectrum, mm-hmm. I've gone the full 24 hours where it's been like, I'll go 1 a.m. And then a month later, it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4. And it just mm-hmm. keeps going around. So I've seen the whole encounter of gym people. Yeah. The easiest thing is that if somebody's trying to make their life better by trying to get in shape, if they're out of shape or if they're trying to find a new crutch because what the crutch they're on is literally hurting their life, mm-hmm. then don't dismiss them for that. I mean, that's the biggest sure. issue is a lot of people want to show off when they get in the gym, which there is a point to. But it also is about like you're working out because you're working out. It's for you. Right. It's not for everyone else in the room feel to good. admire. Right. Right. And it does feel good to be like someone noticing that you're, you're doing well, or, you know, that, that, Oh, Hey, you know what? Like I saw them a month ago and they're, you know, killing it or whatever that, that does feel good. Even if, you know, no one comes out and says that specifically, but um, yeah, I'm all about bettering yourself. But as, as I got this diagnosis, I started to understand things about myself. I was like, I just thought I was weird. <laughs> like as, especially as a kid, cause like I would count on my fingers all the time in class, be like one, two, three, four. And then I go like one, two, three, and like just back and forth and counting little things all the time. And it got to the point, like I was, I couldn't stop doing it. And, and I had to con- consciously 
like stop myself from counting. And I got out of that habit, thank goodness. But it was, it was really weird and intense. And I didn't even think anything about it. Uh, this I was weird about to attack counting. you from a psychology standpoint, because I wouldn't do it on air, obviously, but I'd be like, that's a behavioral thing. That's something that happened when you were young. I was like, what happened? It's mm-hmm. your cope. Cause that's a coping mechanism is the finger taps. Huh? The coping's the finger taps. And then certain, Mostly it's stuff with your body language from what I've learned is mm-hmm. that it's coping mechanisms when you're doing something to yourself. Some people yeah. will pluck their eyebrows. Right. Yep. And some people will do certain things with their hair. Some people itch mm-hmm. their chin. Some Like for me, I rub my hands together when I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'll rub my Okay. That sound is just because you said you walk around barefoot. So I used to do our, yeah. I used to do that a lot when I did jet skis, uh-huh. I would walk like miles barefoot. Yeah. So my hands where the calluses are ended up becoming what my feet were. Shit. They were just all. Right. Callous. So I used to step mm-hmm. on coals. I used to step on a bunch of stuff and just yeah. not even feel it. But yeah, body language is um, a sign of uh, somebody's coping with something yeah. behavioral wise. But then if you're doing things like um, adjusting note pins or adjusting certain things, it's a fact of deorganization, which you could probably analyze that in a dream, analyze that with maybe what's right. going on in your life and trying to figure out you're trying to sort stuff in front of you because there are things inside of you that you can't sort. And that's just, they're all different. Everybody's got a different interpretation of it. I'm just like, fuck, maybe it's everything. Maybe you're just like the, you want things to be straight. Is that an issue? I mean, maybe in society, people can be whatever they want, but your pens on your desk straight. Right. Right. So, okay. So a few things real quick that I do that are really weird to this day. Well, understandable, some of them, but weird. Nonetheless, if I'm in someone's house, uh, even if I don't know them and I see a crooked picture, I will straighten it. If the toilet paper is the, wrong on the roll, I'm like, oh, bless their hearts, but also monster. And I, <laughs> I switch it around. I've even done it in like public bathrooms, but mostly at like other people's houses. And like, I'm like, I don't care. Like, this is just something I do. Um, but the way I eat foods has, especially as a kid, it was really bizarre. I would pick things apart, like entire sandwiches. I would dismantle and eat them in order of least to favorite thing. Um, but now like a Twix, I'll eat the entire caramel layer and then I'll eat the chocolate around the outside and then the little biscuit cookie on the inside or uh, Kit Kat. I'll eat the chocolate around the outside and then top layer, bottom layer, and then middle layers. And it would be so satisfying when I could break them apart without breaking the cookie itself. Um, chicken nuggets, I'll eat the outside breading and then dip it in sweet and sour, specifically McDonald's, which I don't eat often, but, uh, and then I'll eat it that way. So just little things like that, that I still carry around that is again, part of, part of OCD. And that's what you were saying. Um, how ADHD or an OCD present very similarly is that people who have ADHD will do like I was doing where you'll, you'll clean everything and it'll be like spontaneous and random, but that's how you order your life. You know, that's how you focus your ADHD is, is being able to kind of hone in and, and zone in and focus. And that's why they present so similarly. Like, is it because you're so unfocused and all over the place that you have to gather yourself or is it OCD that you need everything to be arranged because it's making you uncomfortable. So it just depends on why you're doing it, but they look really similar. So I find that very, very fascinating. We're going to talk off air about those <laughs> things you were talking about because I have a couple. My main question is about, do you ever like uh, find it games when you're a kid or scavenger games where you had to like point out a bunch of stuff and get, uncover a bunch of stuff to get down to what the true thing is? Oh yeah, that where's Waldo... Um, 
Yeah. Any, okay. anything like that. 100%. We'll talk off air. I know. It's <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Not bad. It's just that you're diagnosed. Carly, you were certifiably crazy. So, no, but my main question, uh, Hey, normal. That just stems. Crazy. It just stems from something when you're a kid, probably that happened, which is why it's why I say we'll talk off air about it. Sure. Sure. A therapy with Robbie. We'll start a, a new podcast together. I'm not a therapist. I just, I, I've read uh, sto- it might, it might relate Unofficial to you. It might therapist. Not. I'm, yeah. I'll, Unofficial, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to therapist. hear. There you go. Uh, I used to work at a porn store when I was 18 and I used to call what? myself an, yep. Yeah, I used to call myself an amateur sex therapist. Uh, I went from smut jockey to amateur sex therapist. And I was, you know, I helped couples out. It was pretty good. Um, so, so I wanted to ask you though, do you think knowing a diagnosis helps someone or can it hurt them? Like, I'm like, okay, well, I've been diagnosed OCD. I've never really done work around it, but I'm starting to notice patterns and things that I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. That makes me feel better. But now am I really embracing it and like taking it to another level? Or do if you, you feel if people are like me uh-huh. maybe a year ago? I would have said, yeah, it helps to figure out what it is, but also I think it hurts because I read about the nocebo effect, which is giving understanding a fault. I've mentioned it many times on this podcast, but giving a false diagnosis, they actually did a study where they found autopsies or they uncovered an autopsies mm-hmm. that a cancer was benign, but the patient had been given a ter- terminal diagnosis of cancer. And wow. this person's body started experiencing signs of cancer. Mm-hmm. This is like my biggest issue because so many people are getting away out of their loved ones because they might have COVID in a hospital or something. You need your family. You need positivity around you at that time. Mm-hmm. And if you think hundred percent, I'm dying of a terminal illness and no one is going to be able to see me when I die, you keep thinking death, 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 death. Right. Eventually you manifest. Yeah. So it goes down a whole other no, no, that makes sense. I think um, being diagnosed with depression or anxiety, again, having the diagnosis of anxiety, which uh, was fueled by my addiction because uh, not sleeping. So this is what happens when you drink alcohol. Uh, you don't actually get into a REM cycle ever when you drink a lot. So you never sleep actually properly sleep. Right. So you, you never properly sleep and then you wake up the next day and not only have you not slept, um, you are have anxiety about your drinking. You're feeling really bad. So what do you do? You drink to deal with your anxiety because you don't know how to deal with it and wash, rinse, repeat the whole cycle starts over. Um, but once I got the diagnosis of anxiety, I started embracing that and being like, oh, again, that's what anxiety looks like. That's what that feeling is like social anxiety. I recognize I don't like going places where I don't know anyone, uh, like, like gatherings, like going to a bar or like, what if I went to some sort of conference and I didn't know anyone there you have to schmooze and network. I hate that. I hate that. I like, I need introductions. I need warm introductions. Um, I need to be there with someone to kind of break that ice. And I used to use alcohol to do that. Like, you know, sober, I, I struggle and it makes me uncomfortable. And alcohol, I was everyone's best friend. I didn't care who you were. We were talking. We we're going to have a great time. Then I wouldn't remember any of it. So, or would end up going home and sleeping with someone that I probably shouldn't have. So, you know, there was a lot of consequences to it, but now I'm just like, I just don't put myself in that situation and I'm okay with that. And I feel better for it. So recognizing that anxiety, but now is it giving me more anxiety or um, are people using depression as an excuse to not function or, you know, do things right. I just, I'm wondering, I'm not, you know, accusing anyone of lying about what's going on or uh, like you said, having that placebo effect of, oh, I'm depressed. 
What was that? Nocebo. It's the opposite of placebo. So it's the opposite. <laughs> like you don't have it at all, but someone gives you that diagnosis. Like I could say you have, and here's the, oh my God, I can't even say that. Cause that'll be, wait, maybe I'll post this after that one. My buddy got a COVID test and it told him he did have COVID, but he didn't have any symptoms. And then he asked the doctor about the COVID test and the doctor's like, we don't even really know. Like, that's true. And he's not a conspiracy guy. So when he mm -hmm. said that to me, he was like, this is when I, and he, I started seeing the conspiracy eyes on him. I was like, oh my God, you're understanding why everybody's crazy about this now. And he goes, mm -hmm. if they don't know, and they tell you, you have COVID and they don't even know if the test is a yes or no, it's just whatever. He goes, then you're mm -hmm. telling someone they have COVID, then they might experience symptoms of COVID. And I was like, all right, right. Dude, now we're fucking going down. Same, same with the vaccine though. People are like, oh, please. Don't. Oh yeah. Oh God. Sorry. I've had too many episodes about this. I, everyone is talking yeah. about covid i'm like let's have one good one where we don't Without have COVID. covid talk okay okay for Fair next enough. episode because we're going to talk sure. about your anxieties too but i have to use the little campers restroom wait what little what? camp little campers restroom i have no idea what that is the little small man's room the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm like, why didn't you just say you have to go go to the bathroom? I don't know why when you're in, <laughs> why when you're in college do kids still raise their hand when they can just get up and walk out? You got your keys to your car. You're paying <laughs> to go to school, but they still do it. Yeah, fun fact: uh, kids in other countries don't have to do that. They just get up and go to the bathroom. In America, they think we're weird for that. They're like, you have to go use the bathroom. Just go. I love it when my, my teacher in school, elementary school, used to be like, no, you have to sit and wait until I'm done with my speech. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to piss right here. You know, it's yeah. a, and then they'll be like, all right, you're an ISS. I'm like, I can go to the bathroom on my way to ISS. You're, you're giving me what I want, but in a different way. Thank you. Right. Uh, okay. So before I let you go to the bathroom, um, one, one more thing. So you know how your mom always said, um, did you use the bathroom before you went and had like a long drive somewhere? Um, use the bathroom before you go. Cause when we're on the road, we're not stopping. And I am going to call bullshit on that because if you have to take a shit or you have to uh, pee, your mom's not going to let you do that in her car. Let's face it. She'll stop. So I'm calling BS on all moms out there because yeah, you're going to stop. So it's a good just, point. Just, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're I'm with my grandma and then she's like, no, I'm not, no, you piss yourself right now. And then people did. <laughs> uh, no, nope. I had a friend that uh, was on a road trip. He was 20 something. And he said like, all of a sudden, you know, sometimes those, uh, I call them hot poops when those like hit your oh. stomach. Yeah. And you're like, oh no. And it's you're like, you warm. have to go. He, he was like, I'm in the car with my girlfriend in the back. My parents are there. We're kind of like middle of the desert. All they have is like giant tumbleweeds and some shrubs. He made them pull over middle of the highway, books it to the behind the nearest shrub and like just shits everywhere. And <laughs> they, they knew, they knew what he was doing and they, he gets back in the car <laughs> And everyone is silent. I mean, like he's a proper adult. He's not a teenager. He's like 20 something. And he's like, it was the most mortifying thing <laughs> of my life. Nobody said a word. And then 20 minutes later, they're down the road and they're like, yo, you okay? You good? And he's like, mm -hmm. right. and they just rest the time comments. in silence. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, ah, oh, thank God. I've never had anything quite that embarrassing bathroom related. <laughs> that would be a great show or a great episode worst um, you know worst bathroom uh public bathroom experiences so oh, trash toilets of instagram beautiful oh. way to go all so. right
Well, go, go before you have a hot poop. We're going to do another episode again. Okay. That was awesome. (laughs)